Hi everyone, I'm Corey, and we are reading through the entire Bible this year. Now, all the info's in the description box if this is your first time here. But this week, we were supposed to read Genesis 42 to Exodus 21. So here's the highlights of what happened in those scriptures in about 10 minutes. So, in the last three chapters of Genesis, we're wrapping up the life of the patriarch Jacob, who's also called Israel. In Genesis 48, as he's nearing the end of his life, he calls on his son Joseph first to pass on his fatherly blessing. Now, this seems an appropriate thing to do because a really good case can be made for seeing Joseph as Jacob's original and chosen heir, meaning that Joseph wasn't born into that role, but Jacob was going to give it to him anyway, though he wasn't Jacob's firstborn. But when you think about it though, Jacob himself wasn't the firstborn of Isaac and technically Isaac wasn't the firstborn of Abraham either. So we have many examples of the patriarchs not following the regular custom of their day. And that trend continues here. Rather than blessing Joseph, Jacob wants to bless Joseph's two sons, essentially giving Joseph that double blessing of the heir by blessing both boys. But Jacob gives Ephraim, the younger brother, the blessing that would normally go to the oldest son. Genesis 49 continues to record Jacob's blessings to the rest of his sons uh, while offering some commentary on their lives, and his death is also recorded. In Genesis 50, we're told that Jacob's body was mummified Egyptian style, and that after the 110-day process was complete and the period of mourning was over, the family, with an Egyptian entourage, took the body of Jacob to Hebron in Canaan, to inter him in the cave of Machpelah, that family tomb that Abraham had purchased back in Genesis. Now, Joseph's death is also recorded here and how he made his relatives promise to take his body with them when they leave Egypt. He's apparently buried Egyptian style as a mummy, of course, and that brings us to the book of Exodus. In chapter one, we're told that a Pharaoh came to power who didn't care about the history that the Israelites had with the throne through Joseph. Now, likely this marks the start of a new dynasty of rulers in Egypt. We're told that this Pharaoh's issue with Israel is mathematical. There are a lot of them. Would they remain loyal to this new Pharaoh or not? Because if not, they could pose a real threat to the Pharaoh's control of at least that area in the Nile Delta. So this Pharaoh, was worried about a civil war over the throne of Egypt. So he enacted a plan of oppression with the aim of control. He establishes quotas of forced or taxed labor for the Israelites and then puts officials over them to make sure the quotas are met. He's established slave masters and slaves. Their main areas of work are listed as building work with brick and mortar and all kinds of field work, so farming. The Pharaoh also tries to force Hebrew midwives to kill male children at their deliveries, but they don't go through with it, giving excuses to Pharaoh along the way. So if this plan failed, Pharaoh appeals to the rest of the people of Egypt that if a Hebrew boy is born, they need to throw it into the Nile River. He enacts this murderous evil law that will come back to bite Egypt where it was applied and where it hurts the Nile River. Anyway, Exodus 2 records the birth of an Israelite baby boy in the tribe of Levi, whose mother hid him as long as she could. And then the mother comes up with a plan to try to have the boy rescued. She places him in a waterproof basket in the reeds of the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter has compassion on the boy, 
giving him a royal adoption and the right to live in Egypt under his mother's nursing care until he's weaned. The Pharaoh's daughter also gives the boy a new name, Moses. Moses grows up in the household of Pharaoh's daughter, but when he's older, he murders an Egyptian that he sees beating an Israelite slave. Moses then has to run for his life when Pharaoh is going to execute him for his crime, and he ends up in Midian, where he marries Zipporah and starts a family. Exodus 3 has, Moses, has God calling to Moses from a burning bush and telling him to go back to Egypt so that God can use him to lead the Israelites out into the promised land, the land of Canaan. In Exodus 4, the conversation between God and Moses continues, and we can see that Moses really doesn't want to go, and there's an interesting confrontation between him and God. The result is that Aaron, Moses's older brother, is going to meet him and will act as Moses's public speaker. Now, personally, I'd love to know how Aaron was able to leave Egypt. It's one of those details that's just not given to us, which is a shame, but anyway. In Exodus 5, Moses and Aaron have told Pharaoh back in Egypt now, that God wants his people to be released into the wilderness so they can hold a festival to God. But Pharaoh sets himself up against God right away by saying, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. When they tell Pharaoh there will be consequences for them if they don't go, Pharaoh doesn't care and increases the workload of the Israelites. Exodus 6 then sees the Israelites not listening to Moses and then the genealogy of Aaron that serves to establish him as Moses' rightful spokesperson is given. Exodus 7 sees the first miraculous interaction that Moses and Aaron has with Pharaoh. Uh, Aaron throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. And then later he hits the water of the Nile with the staff and the waters turn like blood, a fitting image for what had been done to the Hebrew baby boys. Exodus 8 moves us into the first, into the full-blown plague narratives, I should say. We have the plagues of frogs, gnats, and flies. The plague of flies is the first plague that doesn't affect the land of Goshen, where the Israelites are living. Exodus 9 records the plagues of livestock, boils, and hail. The plague of hail comes with an extra warning to Pharaoh that he needs to bring in all his remaining animals and people so that they don't die. And we're told that some of Pharaoh's officials did fear God and they did order their animals and people into safety. Exodus 10 records the plagues of locusts and darkness, plagues eight and nine, if you're keeping count. Now in Exodus 11, Moses and Aaron have been officially banned from Pharaoh's presence. He's just going to ignore them and bear the consequences at this point. But Moses leaves with a dire warning that death is coming on all the firstborn sons of Egypt and that soon Pharaoh's officials themselves will come and bow before Moses rather than Pharaoh, asking or maybe begging him to leave. Exodus 12 describes the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that would be immortalized in Israelite culture by yearly observance. The plague of the death on the firstborn happens and Pharaoh tells Moses and Aaron to take the people and go. The Egyptians hurry the Israelites out for fear of more death, giving them gold and silver. The main concept here is let's favor the Israelites with gifts and get them out of here to get their God's wrath away from us. We're also told that people other than biological Israelites left with Israel. Exodus 13 talks about how Israel instituted the consecration or dedication of their firstborn sons and animals to God as a way to remember the Exodus. They would offer a sacrifice to essentially redeem their lives from the Lord as a reminder of how God passed over Israelite lives in that 10th plague. The festival of unleavened bread would also be a yearly reminder for them. 
and we're told that the Israelites were being led by a manifestation of God in the form of a cloud by day and a fire by night, and that Moses took the bones of, uh, or the mummy of Joseph. Exodus 14 records the crossing of the Red Sea as Pharaoh changes his mind yet again and is coming for the Israelites. Exodus 15 records the song of Moses and Miriam, his sister, who has become a leader of sorts within Israel. The Israelites face the dangerous situation of finding a water supply that's undrinkable at Mara, but it's healed by God through Moses throwing a chunk of wood in it. The point was told to them, God will protect you, so pay attention to his commands and decrees. In Exodus 16, the Israelites are brought into the desert where the lack of food makes them grumble against God. It makes them wish they were still slaves in Egypt. God provides manna, which is some sort of miraculous thing that they can make bread out of, and quail for meat. Exodus 17 sees God providing water for the Israelites again, this time out of a rock. Israel also faces a military battle in this chapter against the Amalekites. The Amalekites attack them, and Joshua, Moses' assistant and essentially understudy, leads the defense. The Israelites win as Moses, with help from Aaron and Hur, hold the staff as they watch the battle. Exodus 18 records Moses' father-in-law Jethro meeting him at Sinai and bringing Moses' wife Zipporah and their two sons with him. At some point, Moses had sent them away from him and they're now reconciled. Jethro also helps Moses establish a system of judges for Israel. Exodus 19 sees Israel camping around Mount Sinai and needing to consecrate themselves and prepare the camp and the mountain for God's presence. Moses and Aaron go up the mountain. Exodus 20, Moses receives the Ten Commandments and regulations about building altars to God. And finally, Exodus 21 puts limitations on keeping Hebrew servants and gives rules around accidental and purposeful death and bodily injuries. There we go. That's it for this week. But if you'd like to hear me and Matlock talk about some of these issues and discuss viewer questions about these passages, then click through and watch this week's weekend show. See you there. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.